glad that you're here today for the Content Creation Made Easy podcast. I'm your host, Jen Liddy. And if you've been listening to me at all, even once, you know that I'm always talking about the same things, which is, you know, you have to have a really clear message. You need to be really into yourself and be really clear about what your needs are, lean into your you-ness. And you need to stop trying to be everywhere because it's exhausting, it's unsustainable, and unless you have a huge team behind you, you're going to feel burned out. That's why today I'm excited and I have, I'm introducing Edie Clark to you and Edie and I have been going back and forth for two months, my fault with several times of rescheduling, and she's finally here to talk to us today. She's a remote video producer and a YouTube strategist and I'm going to have her tell her story about how she got into this. But you're going to hear about how YouTube might be a great road for you to get on and why it might be the lane you want to pick. And if you do use YouTube, why you want to use YouTube. And I can't wait to hear what else comes up. So Edie, thank you so much for being flexible in the whole scheduling thing. And, and here we are. Here we are. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey to how you came to be a YouTube strategist? Yes. I started my business back in 2013, 2014, and I started as a video editor and I was editing videos for speakers primarily. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't really dabble into YouTube. I knew that it existed. In my mind, it was a place where people put like wacky videos for, you know, family members to right. view. Or, it used to be or, that. Yeah. And so I never really paid it any mind and I simply used it to post all of my videos so so that when people went to my website, they could Mm -hmm. see what I could do. So it was literally a free hosting site to me. And then I started to pay attention a little bit to what people were saying in terms of what they were able to achieve by having a presence on YouTube. And then I took a couple of courses and realized that this actually could have an impact not only on my business, but on my client's business. So I then started to offer it as a service. And it it was hard going in the very beginning because a lot of people were avoiding YouTube like the plague because they weren't comfortable being on camera. Because bear in mind back then, social media just existed of images and text posts. Yes, yes. Nobody was doing video. And so that was a hard sell in the very, very beginning because people just weren't comfortable, including myself. I'm going to put myself in the end, right? You were, you were editing. Yeah, I, that was my background. I came from a production background where I worked as a production assistant, a production coordinator. Mm-hmm. I worked as a art department developer, a uh, department manager, sorry, as an assistant to a director. So I was always behind mm-hmm. the scenes. I never was in front of the camera. So that took a lot for me to get comfortable. And it's still something that I'm not a hundred percent comfortable yep. with. I know that I need to do it. So that's why I mm-hmm. do it. But I can totally relate to people who have, who have been. Yeah, I hear it. this all the time from from my audience members that like, do I really have to do video? Video is king. I know video is king and they're just avoiding it as much as possible. My take on the whole thing is, yeah, video is king. And if you don't get comfortable doing it, you might be missing out on some great things. So it's like, how can we develop this muscle or get get comfortable with it or be comfortable with the discomfort of it? And I'm sure we'll be diving into that a little bit today. So I'm really Mm -hmm. happy you addressed that right away because I think that's a big point of friction for people. Mm -hmm. What do you think your clients think when they think about getting on video? What's their biggest issue? 
a lot of them just are not comfortable probably in their own skin. Like I know with me, it was at the time I was probably about 75 pounds heavier than I am now. So that was something that was a deterrent for me because all of the people that I had been seeing on YouTube at that time were all these glossy, gorgeous looking people that could probably be models or were models for all I knew. And so I was constantly comparing myself to them, which is something you should never, (laughs) ever do. But that was one issue that I had. And I think for my clients, more often than not, I do have a mix of clients. I do have some clients who are way comfortable being on camera. They don't have a problem with it. And then I have those that are sort of in the same camp as I am, where maybe they're not comfortable with the way that they look or some instances, maybe the way that they sound. And it could be because of age or the way that they, you know, maybe they're a little overweight, but everybody's in every size that you can imagine. And your ideal audience is on YouTube. So they really want to see themselves reflected Mm. back at them. So it really is beneficial. If you're not the perfect 10, whatever the heck that may be, that you are still comfortable in your own skin enough to show to your ideal audience that they too can achieve the things that you're trying to go out for. I love that point because your audience is made up of all different kinds of people. They look all different ways. And the more that you show up as you, the more almost permission it gives them to be like, oh, maybe I could do this too. You know, one of my least favorite things about doing video is I love an interview style where I get to bounce off of somebody like you. Mm -hmm. But when I'm just recording videos, I find it very energetically depleting because it's like I might as well open the window. Like I'm talking to nobody and there's nobody to bounce off of. So for me, that's I mean, in addition to not really loving how I look on video. It's also like, oh, I'm talking to nobody. I'm just like talking to this blank screen. And that. So I really have to kind of, I I call it like video Viagra. I like have to get it up to like do my videos because it takes a lot of energy out of me to just do them like that. Yeah. Yeah. That is definitely something that I battled with for a long time as well, because even with webinars, I was not, that wasn't the world again that I came from. Everything that I ever did was in front of Mm -hmm. people. So I'd like to get that energy Mm -hmm. from looking at somebody's face and seeing, okay, are they getting what I'm saying? Do they, you know, need further explanation or something like that? So webinars, I definitely felt that way before I even started doing video. And everybody has different exercises that they can use to sort of try to get comfortable. Mm -hmm. Some people put a picture behind, like I right now I'm working with an external web camera. Mm -hmm. So some people would put a a picture Mm -hmm. behind that so that they can act as if they're talking to someone. I don't do that. I actually just sort of have psyched myself into the understanding that I am talking to someone when I'm looking directly at the camera. But one thing that I have to say, as bizarre as this is going to sound, that got me comfortable being on camera was doing live streams. Really? Now, that is weird. And the reason is because I knew that at some point somebody somebody would be there if they weren't already there. And usually, obviously, on a live stream, you can see if somebody's there. And so in that world, it caused me to recognize that I may not have somebody right this second, but somebody at any moment could come on. And it also put me in the mindset, for me anyway, where 
it's okay if I mess up. I knew up. you were going to say that because on live stream, okay. you can't go back. You can't edit. Exactly. I love that point. Exactly. So that made, made it a lot easier. Yeah. And the other issue that I had, which was, I don't know, are they resonating yes, with what I'm saying? Yes. You know, that still kind of crept in. So even though I did do it enough to sort of get over the issue of recording myself, I didn't continue to do it because I really love, I'm a weird person where I'd be sooner to do a live presentation in front of a human mm -hmm. as opposed to a live event online. Mm -hmm. I'm now doing that again, but that is my, I just love seeing people's yeah, faces. I, I, I was a former English teacher. And so the reacting to people in the room, like you were talking about is, you know, when you put voice to that, that's like, oh, that's another reason why I just hate like, yeah, you know, talking yeah. out into the void. Yeah. So yeah. I would love to yeah. know how, let's start with like, how do you actually help the people that you work with? I work on a couple of different manners. Most of my clients are one-on-one. -on -one. Mm -hmm. And so I'll either work with them on a consulting or coaching basis. So they'll come to me, say, for example, I have a, a client that is interested in learning how to create videos for their app that they're developing. Mm. And she's creative enough and techie so that she doesn't mind learning how to use whatever tools it is that I might be offering and my channel will feature only tools that are easy to learn and simple to, to use. I don't talk about really complicated, mm -hmm. very involved um, platforms or tools. And so I will work with them on however many hours it will take for me to not only strategize with them and figure out what it is that they need to do and how they need to go about doing it, but also teach them the specific software that they can use in order to achieve the result that they want. The other way is that I can work with them if they're like, I don't want to have anything to do with this with the exception of just showing up and filming. Yeah, I just want to be the And I don't even want to have to do all the technical um, know-how with the filming. And so with that, I offer a remote video uh, creation product that allows me to connect to them, sort of like what we're doing mm -hmm. now, but I'm directing them. And I'm recording them as they film each of their videos. And then I get access to their videos at the end of our shoot. And then my team and I will edit those videos and then upload them to YouTube and manage their YouTube channels for them. So all they really need to do is create the content. So they need, they're the experts. So they need to be the ones to create their scripts or outlines or blurbs, whatever it is that they're going to say that's going to keep them on point. And then they have to speak it to the camera. I film them and then I do everything else um, for them. Besides that, I also have, I released late last year, a digital course, which is sort of like a first baby mm -hmm. step course. Mm -hmm. It's a six module course that allows my audience, again, to use simple to use and easy to learn video creation tools for every step of the way in terms of knowing exactly what video topics they're going to use for their videos, to filming themselves, to editing those videos, and then to marketing those videos. So what I'm hearing so far is that we can, first of all, give ourselves permission that this isn't easy for everybody. And the second thing I heard from you is there's no one right way to do it. So no. you don't have to think like, oh, because this person does their videos this way, or they look that way, or they approach it this way. 
I need to do it that way. That's a no. The other thing I'm hearing, which is like a huge sigh of relief for some people is all you have to do is show up and be the subject matter expert. There are people out there mm -hmm. who can do all of the back end stuff. And then the other magic that I heard you say is you manage this for people and you yes. help them grow their YouTube channels. Yes. So I just want everybody who's listening to, to remember, it doesn't have to be as hard as we're making it. We can really simplify. And also there are people out there who are like specialists in this stuff that can help us. I love yeah. that. So then what I'm yeah. curious about is what are some of the mistakes people make when they're doing their YouTube channel? And did you make these mistakes yourself? And then do you see them over and over again in your clients? Yeah, I made a lot of mistakes when I first started. I think I mentioned when I first started using YouTube, I didn't use it in the manner that it should have been used. I was literally just hosting videos on there and didn't concern myself with whether they were going to get found in mm -hmm. search because I didn't even understand what that was. But one of the things that I noticed with, well, there are many things, but one of the key <laughs> things that I will notice with people who have gone to the point where they've started a YouTube channel and they've said, okay, I want to use this channel to grow my business and to get exposure is there's really no thought put into what content they're going to. So upload. no strategy. And yeah. So there's no strategy. And what I classify that as also is that there is no clarity in terms of why they have a YouTube channel, why they're creating the videos that they're creating, why does their audience need to hear from them and learn the lessons that they want to convey in their in their videos. And they haven't done the due diligence and sort of really understanding what needs to be done with regards to their mm -hmm. niche. A lot of people's niches are way too broad, especially if they're just starting out. They're not really doing the key research that they need to in order for them to see what's already out there right. and how can I find my space within that. And so there are those types of mistakes that I'm definitely seeing. Okay. So if they're not finding the keywords that help them niche down, they're probably not also finding the keywords to help them be found in the SEO, right? Right. And they're not creating the videos in the format that you need to. A lot of people see, again, because I made the same mistake, YouTube as a dumping ground for yeah. videos. So let's say, for example, I had a client once who had a huge following on Facebook and she did, I want to think she was averaging probably two to three times a week she was going live mm -hmm. in her groups and they were getting tons of views. And so she would turn around and take those videos and put them on mm -hmm. YouTube. And after six months, her channel wasn't really growing. She had about 1,200 subscribers, but they weren't, you know, the views were okay. Yeah, yeah. They were passable. They were, you know, anybody that's new would be like, ooh, I would love this. But based on her audience, they weren't really resonating on YouTube and she didn't understand why. So she started to work with me. And the first thing that I assessed was you cannot take a Facebook Live and just plop it over on YouTube and think that magically right. it's going to work because YouTube sees that you've uploaded a video. So they're going to say like, okay, let's get this 
video out to everyone. That's not how it mm. works. You have to really create the content specifically for the platform. And YouTube does not work well with live streams that are not streamed live on its platform. Okay. So there is the presentation of it. Because bear in mind, most live streams are going to be 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 right, minutes right. long. And you're going to, in the middle of that, oh, hi, Joan, thanks for joining. Who wants to waste time with that if they are looking for a solution to their right. problem? So you need to either take excerpts of your live stream and repurpose them on there, or you just need to completely re-edit your live stream before you upload it onto YouTube. What I opted to do with my client was completely do, we didn't even deal with the live mm -hmm. streams primarily because of the quality issue. But what I decided to do was I literally did a research on her uh, niche and came up with a ton of topics that she could create that were custom mm. to the audience on YouTube because they would be topics that were being Search searched for, yeah. by her audience. And then we reformatted the way that it was presented. And she was able to grow her channel from about 1,200 when we first started to about six months later, we got to about 25,000. That's 000. amazing. That's incredible. And it was all because of us just changing the way that the content yeah. was being presented and making sure that it could get found in search. Why do you think video is such an important piece of your content strategy in 2023? I think it still is that no like trust mm -hmm. factor. It is the fastest way for people to get to know who you are because they can see, again, going back to something you said, they need to be their authentic self. They need to not compare themselves to anybody else. Whatever your idiosyncratic <laughs> ways may be, bring that. Do more of that. Bring that. <laughs> yeah, bring more of that because your ideal audience is out there actually waiting for you. And that was a line. I don't even remember who told mm -hmm. me that. And I didn't believe them. I honestly was like, no, nah, that's not going to happen. And so I was one of those people that compared myself to the experts that were doing this for probably five, six, seven yes. years prior to yes. me. And I was like, well, I'm not as good as that person or I'm, I'm not as pretty as that person. And it wasn't until I sort of blocked that out for the time being and would create content. And then when I got the response, the engagement from my viewers that would say, oh my God, I've seen so many videos on this topic and I don't understand it until you did yeah. it. Boom. That's when it was like, oh, okay. So there are people as cliche or as Pollyanna or whatever you want to call it, as it may sound, there is actually specific people that can only learn oh, from you. Oh, I love you. that. And that's it. That's all you need to really understand and just keep doing it. And practice makes perfect. You're not going to come out of the gate doing this and sounding right. perfect and looking glossy and having the great background and having the great quality camera, whatever. Yes, you need to have those things, but you can start with what you have mm -hmm. now and just try it until you get better. Because the more you do it, the better you're going to get at. Yeah. Stop comparing, you know, your chapter one to somebody else's chapter 32. Exactly. It's so true. And I actually think there are some big names in the industry who say they would never go back and look at their first YouTube 
I don't. I don't either. I don't either. You know, it's, and it's, I, I will say like, I've been doing this for a long time. We use YouTube. We don't, we're not using it terribly strategically, but it's mm-hmm. a bandwidth issue, right? The other yeah. thing for me is, you know, my, where, I, when we're talking strategy, where are you driving people to? So if you want to be known and you want to have 25,000 YouTube followers, like what are they going to be able to buy from you or or how are you going to serve them? And if you don't have you know, I'm, I'm wondering what you would say about this. If you don't have a, well, if you don't have a book or you don't have a scalable product, is YouTube a place for you? Yes and no. Again, another mistake that some people make and I made when I first started was I didn't have a strategy plan in terms of, okay, I'm going to create these videos. What's my call to action at yes. the end? Where Where is it that I want to lead them. And primarily the main reason that I had that issue was because I didn't know what kind of freebie I wanted to offer that I felt would be valuable. And that was a mistake because I may not think of this as a valuable tool, whereas somebody else would. So once I got over that and I was able to come up with valuable calls to actions and tools, then it was beneficial. YouTube can be used for a number of of things. Speakers, for example, can use it as a way to hone their skill as a speaker and also to get found for speaking. Oh, people for. So that's an example where there's not a tangible call to action per se, but they can still use it as a means to earning an income. Like an indirect way. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. In, that makes sense. Yeah. So you can do it if you want to promote a book. You can do it if you're just promoting existing services. I use it to promote my services. Well, do I use it? <laughs> I don't really use it to promote my services because I don't have on there, oh, call me for a free consultation. I've never okay. done that. Uh, although I do get clients from my YouTube channel. More often than not, and I'm one of those weirdos where more often than not, I don't have that many calls to actions to like join a freebie Mm -hmm. or what. They're in my description, Mm -hmm. but I don't verbally say them in every single video because my main thing, my channel is purely for people to understand what my skill is in terms of my knowledge of video creation, video marketing, and YouTube marketing. And I still do get clients that way because more often than not, my clients will hire me either to coach them through a tool that I have marketed Mm -hmm. or or told them about, or they hire me to actually do the project for them. And so I don't need to, not that I shouldn't, but I don't usually need to market myself as this is what I do, but you can do that. The other way that you can utilize your YouTube videos is to offer affiliates for affiliate marketing. Mm. So if it's like, if you're a web designer and you're doing a video that's promoting or that's talking about a specific theme or some little quirky thing that a lot of people tend to have problems with, you can still also offer that theme or the hosting or whatever else that comes along with being a web designer as an affiliate right, and you could make money right. because people are coming and seeing, okay, you're an expert at this. Let me buy the things yes. that you're yes. using. So 
it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have a tangible, I, I need to have a book or I need to have this, that, or the other. It really is an opportunity for you to get found as an expert mm -hmm. in your niche. Yeah. Number. That I think is a really another great permission for us that we don't, it doesn't need to look a, a very certain rigid way. Uh, we right. can approach this like, but we do need to be strategic. Yes. Yes. One of the questions, so we've talked about like how you would present your content, a little bit about, you know, planning it strategically. What we haven't talked about is how you grow your audience on YouTube. Growing your audience on YouTube is really, really key because I think a lot of people also assume, and I think I may have mentioned this already, that YouTube is magically going to do everything right. for you and you could sort of just upload your video and then just kick back and it doesn't work mm -hmm. that way. You need to also have a strategic plan in terms of what's going to happen with that video once you've uploaded it and it goes mm -hmm. live. So there needs to be a game plan and there are tools within YouTube as well as there are extensions that you can add to your YouTube channel that can tell you what's the best day for your channel to premiere or to mm, post that's incredible. your yeah. videos. So once you have that understanding, you know, say, for example, it's Monday at 10 a.m. I don't know. Then you need to have a strategic plan of, okay, once you've uploaded that video, where else are you shooting that mm -hmm. video or links to that video? You need to definitely let your email right. list right. know that you've published a video and constantly remind yes. them that you've published a video. You need to then share it on social media. And depending on the platform that you're on, you can share it directly from mm -hmm. YouTube or you can upload it natively. Right to that platform, or you can upload like a teaser and then in the comments say, look at the full video using this link. You can create a blog. Mm, yes, on it, your website. And you can put that blog on your website. You can put it on LinkedIn and you can use it for things like Medium. And there are a number of other websites that are out there that allow you to do blogs and be able to embed videos yeah. on them. So Subkit is one mm. of them. There's some other ones that escape my mind <laughs> at the moment, but you want to definitely spread the word. And if you ever get an opportunity to be, say, for example, a guest blogger somewhere, try to incorporate a yeah. video that you already have on your YouTube in that guest blog so that, again, it's getting a lot more eyeballs, share it on Messenger right. to folks on that you're connected Ooh, the, with. The content you know? would be particularly relevant for them. Right, exactly. I can't believe Sharing how many... I'm so sorry. What did yeah. I miss that last piece? You can share it in groups that allow for you to be able to share that kind of content like as an answer or to help somebody with a problem that they're oh, having. Oh, I just did a so, YouTube yeah. video on this, so here's the link to it. That's brilliant. You know, mm -hmm. I cannot believe how many gems you've dropped during this interview. It's incredible. Is there anything that I forgot to ask or haven't addressed that is an important element of YouTube that only really you would know and I wouldn't as not an expert? <laughs> well, the one thing that I would say, because I think we talked about this at the very beginning, is that a lot of podcasters tend to only do podcasting on the audio side. I would highly recommend that podcasters also look at the video aspect of it for YouTube because YouTube is taking podcasting a lot more seriously. Mm -hmm. They have a standalone page 
for podcasts now, which they didn't. I think they started that late last year. So they're paying a lot more attention to video podcasts. And I know that a lot of people are doing video and then they're just stripping the audio. And then the other thing, if you're still sort of like, don't really know if I want to do the YouTube thing fully, I would dabble in shorts first. A, because there's not a lot of time commitment. It's less than a minute. So I think we can create that. And because they tend to get a lot more views right now anyway, than the long form. So even if you don't have a presence on YouTube with long form, I would still at least start with the short Mm -hmm. form. A lot of people obviously did it by just taking their TikToks. Yes. You know, cleaning it up and putting it on there and they've blown up as a result. But I think right now we're still at the precipice of where even if you're brand spanking new and you've never, ever, ever posted a video, you still can get a presence on YouTube with Mm -hmm. shorts. So I would encourage you not to ignore it before it gets so crowded that you're going to get lost. Right now, you still have the opportunity to get seen and get a lot of views just from your shorts. That's really great advice. Oh, there was something I wanted to say to you, and I cannot remember what it was. I wanted to say how, oh, I know what exactly what it was. While you were talking, I was thinking about, you know, what an expert you are and what, um, you know, how how streamlined you could make this for somebody, how much easier you could make it for somebody who's either already mm-hmm. in it and not doing a great job or who's considering it. And I I know that the question is always like, oh, do I want to allocate funds for this or like, where's my energy going to go? And so I really, this is, I think this is a good place for us to say, where is your energy going? You know, are you spending a ton of time on a social media platform that's not getting you the leverage? You know, the, the lifespan of a social media post or a story or even a reel is not necessarily the lifespan of like what would be found on YouTube because it's a search engine really. And so if you are spending a ton, say, on, you know, Facebook ads or Instagram ads or somebody to manage Instagram and it's not getting you the leverage, maybe YouTube is a great place for you to kind of lean into and maybe leverage what's happening over there because it's very searchable and it's very sticky. Exactly. I agree. I do know of a lot of people that do spend an inordinate amount of time on the other Mm -hmm. platforms whether it's that they're spreading themselves too thin on every single platform or if it's just that they're spending, you know, the bulk of their time on Facebook and then they're doing the ads and things of that nature. And if that's working for you, more power to you. But like you said, Jen, definitely on YouTube, what I enjoy about it is that if you create a video today, you're going to find an audience that's going to be interested in it today. But then another new audience can find it a year from now, five years from now. And that's the key thing that is a huge difference between YouTube and all of the other platforms. So, yeah, you might look at it as, well, it doesn't take me that long to write a post or, you know, status update or Mm -hmm. whatever on Twitter or wherever it is that they're using it. But it would take me so much longer to create a video for YouTube, but YouTube lasts longer. So that's sort of the rationale that you have to have. And a lot of people, especially in the beginning, used to focus on, okay, well, I need to do too many videos. I have to do like, what, 
three, four videos a week, blah, 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 this, that, and the other. And the minimum is mm -hmm. one. On average, you should do one video a week. But even that is too much for a lot mm -hmm. of people. And so what I say is whatever is comfortable for you that you can stay consistent at. So if that's two videos a month, right. then do that. Now, your channel's not going to grow that quickly because it does grow faster the more okay. content that you put okay. out there. So what I did, for example, is a couple of times over the years, I've done consistently weekly videos for at least a year. Mm -hmm. And then I go to a, right now I'm on an ad hoc schedule. So I don't do it every single mm -hmm. week. I do it on average monthly. And then there might be a period where I'm skipping mm -hmm. a month or two. But it doesn't mean that my channel isn't still growing. It's just not growing as rapidly as it was growing when I was doing weekly videos. And so you have that flexibility because the other thing that you have to be aware of, if you're constantly churning out week after week, a new video, there's burnout yes. and you don't want to do that. Yeah. And your energy, and your so energy gets burnt and your yeah, audience totally. can feel it. Totally. So I would experiment with doing weekly videos for like three mm -hmm. months, three to six months. And then from there, go on a schedule that you can deal yeah. with, whether it's two a month or one a month or whatever, and then just see what's going on with that. Because quality is better than quantity. Mm -hmm. So if you're putting out quality videos that's ideally helping your ideal audience, they're getting really good, valuable information, and it's leading them to connect with mm -hmm. you, and you're only doing that once a month, yeah. I don't see anything wrong yeah. with that. And if you schedule time for it and you know it's on the calendar and you get your you do your hair that day, like the days that I know I'm recording, right. I'm actually putting makeup on and I'm actually blowing right. out my hair, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay, Edie, I cannot believe the number of great pieces of advice and helpful hints and insights yeah. that you gave us. How can people start to get into your world? Well, I'm only on YouTube and oh. LinkedIn. That sounds like an amazing choice. <laughs> yeah. So those are the only two platforms that you would be able to connect with me. Definitely connect with me on LinkedIn and we can schedule a free call where we can just get to know one another or you can certainly subscribe to my YouTube channel. Otherwise, you can definitely check out my website, which is edclark.com mm -hmm. and see all what you need to see about me. <laughs> Well, I'm going to put the links in the show notes so that they're really easy for people to find and then they can see how you spell your name. It's Clark with an E on the end. Yes. Please go follow Edie because if you are considering YouTube, there's so many pluses at this point. I'm seeing so many pluses. And yes, you have to set the foundation. You have to set the foundation for anything that you're building, right? So it doesn't mm -hmm. fall over. And there's people to help you with that. So if you don't have to feel so lost. And I love that you also have a digital product where people can consume it as DIYers if that's what they prefer too. That's an important yeah. option. So Edie, thank you so much. You're welcome, Pam. Listener, thank you so much for joining us. I know there's a lot of options out there for podcasts and certainly about content creation. So I appreciate that you show up every week. Thanks so much. And I'll see you next week. Bye, everyone. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.